2: What you will not hear me do is say anything negative about the incumbent because I respect her. She has a legacy that she's, you know, drawn up in the city. And so I'm going to tell you what I'm for. I'm going to contrast myself uh, because it's not necessary to tear somebody down in order to lift yourself up.
0: You know, all three of us are very intentional about just focusing on good ideas. And I think if you have good ideas and solutions, you don't need to talk about anyone else. You don't need to put anyone else down. And I think I try that's, very
1: hard not to talk about anyone else. <laughs> yes,
2: I think
0: because but it's important. Because Andrew, it's I, I, I just want to sit in this for a moment because it's important because young kids are watching young kids are watching they are aware of the political climate and so it's our responsibility as the adults to act like like act like adults i think wow. just being about solutions and policy is where we need to move in in politics and not like attack ads and putting people down because it does nothing
1: well erica sound like a true teacher look at that you're like kids are watching be good they can right. see what you're doing Today's episode of Yang Speaks, boy, do we have a treat for you. Two amazing, amazing congressional candidates. Rev. Wendy joins, Reverend Wendy Hamilton, who's running for Congress in Washington, D.C., and Erica Rhodes, who we got to know well on the trail from the early days when we were running for president. She is running for Congress in California, District 30. It's an amazing conversation with two wonderful women and really a good talk on how politics works at a local level and how you can inspire and create change and impact right in your own backyard. It's pretty powerful, exciting. Uh, these are two women I look up to a lot. So you guys are going to enjoy it. Rev Wendy and Erica Rhodes on Yank Speaks. I have been looking forward to this for quite some time. It is my pleasure to welcome to Yang Speaks, the Yang Gang's own, Erica Rhodes and Reverend Wendy Hamilton. Welcome, Erica and Yay. Wendy.
0: Thank you for having us, Andrew. Excited to be here.
1: Why Erica and Wendy specifically? Because they are both running for U.S. Congress in California <laughs> and <laughs> Washington, D.C., respectively. Yay. Yay. <laughs> Uh, so I I can't wait to catch up with both of you, but certainly a lot of people are going to be meeting you for the first time. So I'd love for folks to hear your stories. On Erica, you and I met when you were volunteering for the campaign. You're a school teacher. You were such an Aces uh, powerhouse during the campaign, where everyone uh, on my team was like, "Oh, who is this person? It's like a house of fire in California." <laughs> Uh, And then you decided to take it to the next level, which is to run for Congress. Uh, Anyone who's looking for someone doing it the right way, uh, Erica is certainly an example of that, where it's super grassroots, like just a lot of uh, uh, a lot of popular energy. So, Erica, let's hear from you first. How has this been this last number of months and how did you end up at this decision? Because running for Congress is a very, very big decision
0: it is a very big decision and thanks again for having me and thanks again for just being an inspiration to me and I loved I loved campaigning for you it's definitely one of the highlights of my life um so we announced literally after George Floyd and the campaign has blown up it has really really taken off and I have to say shout out to the Yang because they helped give our seed money and allow us to expand um, into our community. And it is a big decision, but I don't regret the decision because we obviously need real change and the policies in which we are running for and the ones that you are advocating for that are, most of them are on my platform are urgent. And for me, I'm happy to be passing. Like, I feel like you passed the baton to me and I'm taking it. But I think as a teacher... And seeing the disparities in education and seeing all the social, you know, injustice and the civic unrest and just wanting to pull people out of poverty is why I feel like I'm called to do this. I really feel like I was meant to do this at this time. And so it is an honor and privilege to run. And I look at it as not even being a representative. Like I'm excited to be a public servant and actually serve my community and serve our country and, you know, really just change what politics should be, like can be and what it, and be a model of what it should be through my district.
1: And Wendy, you and I connected very early on in my campaign where Rev. Wendy just shows up to an event in D.C., uh, and this was 2018. This was before the, the Yang Gang had really even truly formed. <laughs> and so imagine, imagine our delight when this this incredible leader shows up to our DC event and says, Oh, like heard you, and you were like, Yep, you're right. Like like let's let let's abolish poverty like that, you know, like I and and so you were one of the pioneers for the campaign. That was early on. And uh, you were there with us the entire way. You watched the entire way build. You were on the bus with me and Evelyn and the family in Iowa making the case. Uh, So you went through the entire journey and then you decided to run for Congress in Washington, D.C., which, frankly, I think it's going to be news to some people that D.C. has has members of Congress. So if you could talk a little bit bit about your journey, too, in terms of uh, deciding to run.
2: Well, you're absolutely right. I did meet you back in 2018. A lot of folks like to call me (laughs) O-G-Y-G. Like, <laughs> I'm back, you are O-G-Y. So back in- Both
1: of you are O-G-Y-G. It's true.
2: <laughs> right. Exactly. And, you know, honestly, Andrew, it was based on an article that I saw in New York Times where I read about you. You were introducing your campaign. It was called The Robots Are Coming. It was in New York Times back in February of 2018. And what you wrote in there inspired me when you were talking about automation and everything that had really uh, caused Donald Trump to be elected Other than the things that were being focused on at the time. And you you introduced the idea of universal basic income, which, of course, is not a new idea. But for me, it was the first time I had actually heard of the concept. And so I'm reading it and you're talking about automation and how jobs are going to go away. And I'm looking at this and thinking about having come up in the Midwest, although I'm all D.C. right now. When I saw that, I was thinking about my grandmother and my grandfather who worked in the factories in my small town in Ohio and how they had nothing to turn to when they uh, when those jobs got shipped overseas and how universal basic income and the idea of that would have been such a help. Uh, at that time. And you were talking about humanity first and talking about uh caring for each other and how we had lost a sense of that. So that resonated with me as a minister. So I read that article. I'm like, who's this dude? Cause you know, <laughs> he's preaching what I preach on Sundays without a pulpit. So I need to, um uh you know, about taking care of the least of these looking out for the oppressed and the poor and the widow. So it all just kind of merged for me. And for me, much like what Erica said, public service is ministry, right? So, it made sense to come alongside your campaign. I just literally sent you all an email and said, I love what you're saying, what you're doing, I believe in it, I see it. And I want to help. If you come to D.C., you came a few months later and, and the rest was history. Uh, after that, we met, we connected. And I just felt the same connection, the same call that Erica is referring to to help spread that message. Because the sense I got from you, Andrew, was just that, that this was bigger than you. Your campaign was so much bigger than you. But there was a message and a vision that you had. And I felt connected and called to be a part of that. So I, I joined you on the campaign. You're right. We were on the bus to Iowa. I've been on more planes and I think I slept in a couple of airports because of the snow. Uh, I'm, sorry. To I'm get... sorry about that.
1: I've been there. That, those <laughs> Iowa flights were a little bit unreliable. Like every oh once in you were like, you were like, what? The one flight got canceled? Interesting. <laughs> yeah.
2: Let's see. So how do I connect? I'm in the middle of where? Yeah, so <laughs> And
0: I like the snow because I, there was a time where I was, I went like 12 hours for you and I was like canvassing in the snow and I was like, everyone's home right now. And I was able to get up like a lot of yard signs. But one thing I do want to plug about you, Andrew, that I love th- like more than anything is that you don't need to put other people down to elevate your ideas And I love that you were like, you're truly a role model. Like you have real integrity character. And that was like, honestly, one of my favorite things. And you resonated to people from all walks of life. It wasn't like this, oh, you have to be a certain way to get behind this campaign. It was just like, I'm here for everyone. And this is a campaign for any and everyone. I went to a, like my first rally and I left with friends right? Because it was just like this unifying thing. And then Reverend Wendy and I have become really good friends. And so I really appreciate your that you ran for president. I hope you do it again one day.
1: <laughs> well, well, Erica, that, that's so kind. Um, so Erica, I'd love to talk a, about uh, how, like, where you uh, came from, how you grew up uh, for both you and Reverend Wendy, because I think it's really important for people to get a sense of who you are. Uh, I do think that ends up shaping why you would decide to do something, frankly, as uh, uncommon as run for Congress. It's not a normal thing to do. You know, I mean, like, so in your case, you were born in, in Las Vegas. Your father was a professional fighter, I want to say. Uh, UFC, is that right?
0: Yeah, my dad was a former UFC fighter. And my mom, and She when she retired, she became an entrepreneur. She like kind of um, does... Like trade shows and like events, and um, and she like organizes those, and it's specifically to moms and babies. Um, but I grew up in Las Vegas. I'm biracial. My dad is African American. My mom is Chinese and German. My mom speaks German fluently. And um, I had, you know, a, just working class family, and um, I obviously had to, um, unfortunately, had to endure racism at times. But I think that my parents. Being that they're biracial, always said you you know you always treat people with kindness and respect, judge people based on your experience with them, and you know taught me how to That's work hard. That's a pretty good rule to
1: live by. <laughs> it is, yeah. My dad's
0: really wise, but you know to work hard and just be a decent person and just you know don't be afraid to take on you know hard things. And I have to say, with my parents in particular. I have brought some dreams to them, but they have never told me that I can't do something. They're always behind any idea, or dream, or aspiration that I've ever had I've ever had, and including this one and my dad actually is the one that gave the final nut. He's like, You really loved Andrew Yang, you really love these policies. you're frustrated. Well, instead of complaining, run, run. this is your time, go run and so that kind of helped ignite it after George Floyd. And then um, I would say what's unique about my childhood was my parents were very present in my life. But I think if they had a universal basic income, my mom could have been more present because my mom worked two and three jobs at some time, like at times, and so she couldn't make it to everything. And so I just think about the the freedom in which one can have to be present in their child's life. Um, really knits why this is such an important policy that Reverend Wendy and I are both advocating for and that you obviously championed.
1: I turn to ExpressVPN. Do you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there who business businesses to buy and sell our data? The worst part is you don't know what they're doing. You don't get to have your say. That's why I use ExpressVPN. Just hit one button and then your internet connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server. No one can see your IP address. You're completely in your own private that's expressvpncom slash yang go to expressvpn.com slash yang to learn more so rev Wendy you grew up in uh, in Ohio um, and and then you, you uh, did a number of things in a number of different places uh, before winding up in DC, though now you're very, very DC. You've been there for extremely for, DC <laughs> for, for, for quite some time. Um, right. Uh, can you talk about uh, your uh, growing up in Ohio?
2: like I was saying earlier about the story with my grandparents and how that really uh, resonated with me in terms of thinking about the struggle that they went through. And so from that point on, my life really became about public service, about working in nonprofit agencies and social justice agencies that were, you know, able to help people who were struggling to get by. So growing up in Ohio, it was a a nice experience, small town, actually in Appalachia on the river, a small town called Portsmouth. And if you crossed one bridge, you were in Kentucky. If you cross the other bridge, you were in West Virginia. I had a lot of life experiences that led me to come to Howard University in Washington, D.C. That's what got me here when I was 17 years old. That's what introduced me to D.C. And boy, was it a culture shock for me when I got to Washington, D.C. I hadn't seen this many people, particularly this many people of color um, in professional positions. And so it was an eye opener. But it has shaped the woman that I have become. I've been here ever since. I like to say D.C is my adult home, because this is the place that raised me. This is the place where I've grown up. This is the place where be- I became an adult. And so my journey to actually deciding to run for Congress is sort of rooted in that experience. You you mentioned at the top of the um, interview that some people may not even know that there are congressional seats to be run for in DC, right? And of course, uh, those who do understand that's why we're fighting for D.C. statehood. We're fighting for that representation. So we do have a non-voting delegate position, which is what I'm running for in this moment in 2022. DC's non-voting delegate. We also have shadow senators and representative positions until... We are granted statehood, which we're very close to achieving. But I think for me, the thing that drove me the most of sort, of course, being inspired by your run and and working on your campaign so closely. But I was getting frustrated and still do about people who. Talk about D.C. and sort of lump all of D.C. in with what's happening on Washington on Pennsylvania Avenue, what's happening in Washington, as if there aren't eight wards of culturally diverse, rich. Human beings, uh, Americans who are going to work, you know, trying to do what we need to do to, to make our lives better as well. And yet we sort of get categorized as, well, they're corrupt. So when people say Washington is corrupt, I'm, I'm like, well, DC is not.
1: That makes a lot of sense. It's true. Because you, you have, you, you know, you have the national government, you have the capital, you have a set of legislators, you have people. But then you have, how many people live in DC?
2: Seven hundred and twelve thousand.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. You probably yes. have like like an additional <laughs> uh, six to seven hundred thousand people who are just there living their lives, like doing their thing. Um, and right now, what most people know is that it, it's, you know, it's a district um, and there is a massive movement for it to become a state, which is this close to happening and I remember—I think all of us remember when we were growing up—the entire "No taxation without representation," uh, you know, like like battle cry from um, from our founding. Um, last I checked, people in D.C. pay taxes. <laughs> Hello,
2: and pay. <laughs> Pay more tax in taxes than 23 other states. And you talked about that population. We also have more residents in the district than Wyoming and Vermont. And so, you know, we have this larger population, but yet no representation. And we're paying these higher taxes. So it's absolutely time for us to to get that representation that we so richly deserve. And we're fighting for it. You said it. We're very close to it. There's actually going to be a vote in the House of Representatives the week of April 19th. And we expect that fully to pass. And then all eyes turn to the Senate, of course, which is a whole nother conversation, but at least We're moving the ball forward. There's some momentum for us. The people are involved. The residents are getting excited about it. And so we are hopeful that DC will be given a voice. And that's why I'm running, because I want to be that particular voice for the residents and the people in this city to let them know that we have a separate identity and we need to be recognized and not disenfranchised.
1: Geez, Wendy, you seems like you might be the right person at the right time, you know, <laughs> really, like in the right place, uh, because it seems like something historic is about to happen um, in, in DC. So, Erica, your race is the Congressional, the 30th District of California, um, which is Western Los Angeles, I believe. Uh,
0: yeah, it's like the West Valley, the West San Fernando Valley.
1: And you did something I think everyone can understand immediately that everyone kind of aspires to in their lives, but very few people do. You won Teacher of the Year. (laughs) Yes.
0: (laughs) My first year of teaching. Uh,
1: Which is incredible for developing a science curriculum um, for kids that that, uh, helped them learn in new ways. Uh, Can you talk about um, how you decided to be an educator and what your initial experiences were? Because a lot of people... I'll just speak for myself, but I think this is pretty universal. Uh, You know, Wendy, you can like agree with this probably. It's like, we all grew up with teachers because we're around teachers. And so a lot of us at one point thought to ourselves, maybe I want to be a teacher. You know, (laughs) know, I I think that was a very natural thought for a lot of kids. Uh, And so did you always know that you wanted to be a teacher? And then what was your experience like actually getting uh, trained as an educator and then showing up um, in the public schools?
0: So no, I never wanted to be a teacher, <laughs> but, um, but what ended up happening was um, I came across this woman who was like an on-set tutor, and while I was in college, I was like, oh, that seems like a really cool gig to have you know, while I'm in college, and then I just ended up going through the credential process, and I had to do observation hours, and in the classroom that I was assigned to, we had fifth graders that could not even read Andrew. And it literally broke my heart because I was in the third grade and I still, I was not fully literate. And so it took that teacher. I still remember her, my parents getting me everything that I needed to make sure that I can read. And so it was like this instant connection. And then it was in that moment where I decided to devote my life to education. Fast forward, I got my credential, I got my first job and, um, I was hired as a science teacher because my master's degree is in curriculum and instruction with an emphasis in science. And my principal at the time, she was like, gave me creative freedom. She's like, dream it up. And for a first year teacher, that can be like kind of daunting, like this crazy task. But I was like, you know what? How do I learn? What have I learned through the whole credential process? And I went to my mentor, Professor Baca, who's no longer with us, but she is my mentor. She's shaped how I teach. And I dreamed up something that was hands-on, field trip-based, kid-led, the constructive, constructive approach to learning. And it ended up getting the kids hyped about science. Like every lesson, wow. every this
1: time.
0: Is like a dream. I, it is a dream. <laughs> and every lesson, every time, we were doing hands-on Experiments and it was so fun. And then I was nominated to be Teacher of the Year my very first year by the Los Angeles Clippers. And then that just kind of catapulted my career in education and at the school that I'm at now is really the model in which I think education should go where it's field trip. Teachers are paid and compensated. Well, kids are at the, the, the the priority because I think that's what education should be where the kids are, where we start with and superintendents are kind of (laughs) last. And, and I think it's part of the reason why i want to be it is the reason why I want to be on the education committee in Congress that's like my end goal that would be so I, wonderful <laughs> that I, that's what I'm working towards and can I just plug that what's my signature policy that I'm very proud of is my kids have a voice to program and so a section of my campaign is literally operated by young people so they can, they come up with the events they write policies they dream up things and they run a whole section of our campaign and so basically my goal is to cultivate the next generation of leaders. And I have to give Reverend Wendy a real thank you because not only has she helped give advice to this program, but she has also participated in different events that my my kids in my district have done. And I think Aww, that's why I, I want to so leave with her. <laughs> Because, like, Wendy, like, will work with anyone that has the best interests of young people. And so I just want to just let everyone know, like, she's for real about young people, too. And I think that's what we're missing in education is letting kids feel empowered and having a voice in the process, especially when they don't get to vote. These policies affect them, but they don't get to vote on them. So it's our responsibility to make sure that they have a space and room at the table. And so that's what I'm excited about.
1: So I take it you were for my proposal to lower the voting age to 16. <laughs> I have it on my platform. <laughs> nice. I have it on
0: my platform. Oh, it's the same and thing. You the way... can
1: pay taxes. Might as well be able to know where it goes.
0: Right. And one of my girls on my campaign, she wrote a whole presentation for me on why it should be 16 and not 15. So kids really care about this. So thank you for running on that.
1: So you've worked in both public and private schools, and this is such like a, a you know a, a central issue for so many communities. Like, do you have any thoughts on uh, what you've seen in different environments and what we can do to, frankly, teach our kids uh, better?
0: Yeah, there there is a difference, and I think what it is is with. I think it really comes down to accessibility and resources. You know, so at, you know, when you work in a private school, you tend to have more resources to do the hands-on, to have creative freedom, to go on field trips, um, because it's, you're not working through a system. Um, Public schools have different challenges and benefits, right? But I would say when I worked at a public school, the kids were just absolutely astounding. They were just amazing. Like they, they wanted that, they wanted to um, have these same experiences. And I think for me, what I had to do was find ways to fund them. And I think that's, that's what I want to fix. Like I want to make sure teachers are paid more and that we are making sure that teachers have resources because when teachers have resources, we know that they can flourish. Like teachers should never have to pay for a lesson. Like I keep like when yes, I work in course. public. Of course. Like,
1: like <laughs> all of us are thinking to ourselves, teachers have to pay for lessons? <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's it's it's, right. it's, it's right.
0: wild. It's absolutely wild. And you know, I can't even begin to tell you how much I invested in my own classroom. I'm happy oh to do it. Oh my gosh, yeah. But I, know. I mean when we shouldn't you're be a asking teacher, that
1: of teachers though, that's not cool. We,
0: yeah, we shouldn't. And so I really think that we need to reprioritize funding and make sure teachers are compensated well and that teachers get stipends. So something that I'm proposing is that teachers at the beginning of the year get a $1,000 stipend so they can invest in their classroom and tailor their curriculum to the resources in which they need to, to innovate and create and have those hands-on opportunities. And then I think it should be sustained throughout the school year. And obviously there's some pub, there's a lot of public um uh, policy, so I'm saying that even if I'm in Washington, I'm willing to work with our local officials to make that stuff possible.
1: That, that's a tremendous idea and one of the things that I'm hearing in your proposals, which I agree with, is that we should be investing resources uh, as close to the kids as possible and and what's closer than the teacher. You know, there's a lot of money getting spent on stuff that is not in that classroom. <laughs> And and paying teachers more, to me, uh, is one of the first moves you make uh, where – and if if you look at the numbers, uh, we're actually spending a good deal in the United States to uh, educate our kids. It's just not not enough that's going to the teacher. And the fact that teachers have to do what you've done, which is spend their own money that they don't really have a lot of uh, excess in (laughs) to to buy materials or lessons for their kids – uh, it's just wrong. So, uh, like, I I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, so, Wendy, on your side, you you've done a lot of things, as I uh, said before. You've worked in communications in Capitol Hill. You've been a communications professor. You worked with someone who's like a major major force is uh, Ben Jealous, who's the
2: yes. CEO
1: of the NAACP. Who I, I know you know like I I'm friendly with Ben. Like I don't know him well. Yeah. We have a lot of people yeah. in common. Um, And you've been engaged in uh, criminal justice reform, uh, in environmental issues. um, And and during that time, you've also obviously uh, become uh, a reverend and been uh, ministering to people's spiritual lives. I think we've recently seen a greater intersection between... Um, faith in public service. And maybe I'm just thinking of it because of Reverend Warnock's victory in Atlanta, which Absolutely. I'm sure both of you are super pumped about the same, <laughs> <Absolutely. laughs> same, same way. Yes.
2: Was <laughs> this is a city that is ripe for someone who is looking to come and be involved in a culturally diverse, active, engaging group of citizens who Really care about their future. You mentioned Ben. Ben Jealous was the youngest president in the history of the NAACP back in 2008 uh, when I came on alongside Ben, who's a dear friend now, who's actually now the president and CEO of People for the American Way which is a nonprofit here in DC. So working with Ben and even working at the headquarters in in NAACP was an eye-opening experience. Uh, I was with Ben during the time that Trayvon Martin um, was killed. Uh, There was a big death penalty case with Troy Davis. For those who might remember Troy Davis, who was on death row um, and a lot of advocacy work that went into to uh, attempting to save his life. And so, as you mentioned, I was in this sort of social justice service people um, space that give, gave me such a sense of wanting to do more. And, and help because there's such a need and it can almost feel overwhelming at times. You, you, you think you're, you know, you're putting out one fire here and then something raises up over there. And so having been sort of a person of faith, but not necessarily in ministry, I finally decided to explore that. And actually when I was working on the Hill, you mentioned that I did work on the Hill for a season in a, as a communications capacity. They had a Bible study there that was led by, the current Senate chaplain, uh, Barry Black, Admiral Barry Black. He's the chaplain of the Senate. He's the first African-American to become the chaplain of the Senate, wonderful guy, turned out to be a mentor of mine, actually wrote my recommendation letter to go to seminary at Howard University. So Howard, for me, uh, transformed my life, both as an undergrad and then going back on the master's degree level. And I knew from that point on that it was my calling To serve and to reconnect and to inspire and to motivate people to be what they've been called to be and to do what they've been called to do. And so the any types of activities I've become involved in, I'm inspired by them. I don't do things for clout or do, you know, so some people would say, why Congress? Like, you know, I I, kind of got that question. One of the things we haven't talked about uh, is that uh, similar to Erica, we're both running against incumbents. Uh, 30 year incumbents. And so you might imagine uh, you have two of us coming along with all of this Yang energy, you know, and they're like, Oh, Yang energy. I like the sound of (laughs) that. You know, and they're asking, you know, where did they come from and what are they attempting to do? But for me, (laughs) I believe in, in, I believe in stepping into roles that you feel connected to. You know, I know when you were running, people used to say, why did he start out at president? Why didn't he start out, you know, at city council or something like that? And like you, the problems were so big, you feel like you need to be at the top of the, of, of the heap. to to make any kind of indentation into them. And so for me, also understanding my gifts, I am an an advocacy person. I know how to to visualize and to speak and to represent. If you need my voice on the record about what is right and what is just and what needs to be done in this moment for this particular group of people or even for this individual that's me, I'm your person, and that's why I'm running.
1: You will definitely be a voice for the people and you get the sense and we'll come back to this, Wendy. It's like it doesn't seem like the people have had a voice in D.C. for quite some time.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify, whether you're selling a little or a lot.
1: A Democratic incumbent who's been there a long, long time. Um, The the dynamics of California are interesting, where I believe there is a relatively open primary. Is that correct? Or is it a Democratic primary before it reaches that level?
0: It's so it's an open primary. So it's whoever gets the top two most votes and then they move on to the general. And in the past, it's been the incumbent and a Republican. But... (laughs) But not this time. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> not this time. I look at it like this. I'm not running against an incumbent. I'm running for something. I'm running for our next generation to end poverty, to fix our education system, criminal justice reform. And my race is uniquely a historic race. We've never had a woman. We've never had an African-American. We've never had an Asian. We haven't. We haven't it has never been... Um, it's always been like the same typical type of, um, leader. And so I'm running to make history and I'm running for change. And so what's unique about my district is they're salivating for change. They want change. And I think that's why we've had such an outpour of support. Like literally today we were at the park doing our lending libraries because I want to create a community of readers. And people all over the park were just like coming around. us, like, what is this? What are you guys doing? This is so great. Like, Yes, this is what we need. And I think that's what makes me so um, unique and different is that I have a vision for my community. I'm not there uh, to just sit on a seat just to just vote for something. I want to do stuff that's not even like you don't even have to worry about legislating it because there's stuff that we can do day to day within our own community that doesn't even have to be passed through law. Right, and I think that's how we have to change the political landscape. Like, what can we do while we wait for everyone to rally the votes? Like, what are the things that we can do as a community? And that is what I love most about my campaign. It's so community driven. Like, we passed out hygiene kits. We passed over out over two hundred and fifty hygiene kits to those experiencing homelessness. We've done diaper drives. There was like a food bank line that was two miles long. I could have drove past that line. No, I pull over and I'm. Going car to car to car. What do you guys need? And these are moms. We were waiting for oh diapers for. Our, yes, we're waiting yeah. for diapers for our babies. And so within seventy two hours, I reach out to the, our local leaders, people in the community. We raised over a thousand dollars worth of diapers for these moms.
2: Wow. And,
0: and that and that's not law. And so that's the kind of leader I am. I'm present. I know it's happening. I have a I know what everyone cares about. I walk I have literally talked to over 100 small business owners. Over 100. And many have said you're the first person to even come and ask if I'm okay. That's not leadership. And so the incumbent is like the least of my concerns. My community is my priority and I'm just ready to serve. I just like I'm just like June 7, 2022, vote me in. Let's get this done and let's get real change. And, and that's what I'm really, really excited about my district is they they want the change. They're rallying behind me and we're going to get it.
1: Wow. Well, Eric, I've seen you in action. Uh, no one has anywhere near the energy that you do. <laughs> right. Oh, really? I think people can sense this. I love right. the fact that, that you declared early, um, and that you're just making the case to the people. And there's a very clear sense that you have a very long time incumbent who's, been there for decades uh, and then you have the scrappy energetic grassroots teacher <laughs> yes. led campaign that everyone loves and anyone who interacts with you would be like wow if she was my like congresswoman that would be dynamite <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know
0: I right. liked, and you know right. i think for me it was like at first everyone's like you're never gonna do it you're a long shot it's a long shot well, it's not a long shot because as a no-name scrappy teacher, we have reached over $80,000 in small-dollar donations. I have more small-dollar donations than the incumbent. We have donations from every single state, America, Samoa, Puerto Rico, D.C., everywhere, and, we, and we're not a long shot anymore. We're very, very viable, but it's going to take everyone to continue to support and help help get us to the finish line. And I think Reverend Winnie can appreciate it was like, was it Adam that lifted Moses' arms up and pushed him forward? I think that's the story. Is like, I just need the community to keep pushing me forward because it pushes us forward.
1: I would certainly not bet against uh, you making this happen, Erica. And I've contributed to your campaign. You and did. I w- and, 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 and I would <laughs> Thank you. Er- recommend that everyone who's listening to Thank this you. donate to Erica's campaign because when you love to see someone like Erica in, in Congress? We've got a bit more than a year to build up her campaign to the point where she ends up in the top two. Uh, and then I think if the people got to look at what she's bringing to the table relative to the incumbent, she'd have a great chance to win. She's exactly the kind of high character or public servant that people imagine that they want to have run for Congress. And then now that she's actually doing it, uh, you know, getting behind her is uh, joy. So I love the fact that you started early, Erica, and you're just, frankly, just going to outwork uh, everyone else. <laughs> That's uh, the plan.
0: <laughs> no, I can tell. I
1: mean, everyone anyone listening to this can actually uh, tell. And you campaigned for me in Iowa, Nevada, New Hampshire, of course, in California. I've seen you in action, and I would not bet against you for anything. You would run for (laughs) anything. I wouldn't bet against it. (laughs) So, so, uh, Rev. Wendy, you have like another situation where it is like a very, very long-term incumbent, and there is a lot of potential there, I think, for this office, particularly if it converts, frankly, to becoming a voting member, which could happen in a matter of uh, weeks, you know, if like if a couple of Republican senators, uh, you know, decide to to um, uh, make it happen. Um, so if you want to talk about the dynamics of your race, because I'm sure a lot of people when you're going around D.C. say the same thing I said at the open, which is like, we have a member of Congress. Like, what's this? Right. Like they, they, they probably barely <laughs> even know that this person is like out there. <laughs>
2: Well, well. let me say this. They do know. They do know uh, most of D.C. folks are familiar with the setup and what we have here. Um, the issue becomes, are they excited about what we have here? And I know that you've talked about it. And one of the things that we're looking at and certainly can't be a part of your campaign and not learn how to read data. Right. <laughs> and so we're focusing on the data. And what the data is telling us is that turnout has gone down Over the course of the time that the incumbent has been in office because people have become more and more disillusioned and disconnected.
1: Wait, wait, wait! Let's have some fun with this for a second. So the folks in DC, like, what could they vote for? It's like because you're saying turnout's going down. It, like you can kind of imagine people in DC being like, "Oh, what am I voting for?" Like what? Like, you
2: know. well, well, you know, most of our most of our voting is driven by local races, right? The yeah, mayor, the count city council, the ANC chair, and then of course you can vote for the the delegate position that I'm running for. We also actually have shadow senator positions, so it's kind of like. If we did have senators you could vote for them so we do have two shadow senator positions and a shadow house of representatives Okay position. wait
1: wait wait just for fun just for fun. Do <laughs> okay. these shadow like do these shadow senators have like a full-time job where they their job is just to chill out because that that would be wild.
2: So they have like a symbolic office? They have like relationships that they can build so they um, are somewhat active, but mostly locally and around statehood issues, not necessarily on the federal level. Do
1: they get so. paid by the federal government? No. Okay. Okay. Because if they were, I'd be like, "We're doing. <laughs> no. we paying some shadow senator. That that would be. Yeah, I mean, no. not to say. I mean, it's a trivial amount of money yeah. in the scheme of things, yeah. but still, I would just would have been a Funny thought.
2: Yeah, no, more symbolic than anything else. The, the incumbent who I'm running against is well known here in DC. And so, yeah, I am going to say, and I do say to people, I'm not running against her. I am running for DC. Like I'm running for the people. I'm running to be the voice of the citizens. I want them to feel like they have a full representation. I want them to know that, you know, when the New Jersey delegation or the California delegation or the Texas delegation weighs in the DC delegation is going to weigh in as well. And we're going to weigh in with what, Uh, the needs are of the people. And so, yes, it is a different kind of a race. And what you will not hear me do is say anything negative about the incumbent because I respect her. She has a legacy that she's, you know, drawn up in the city. And so I, she's my elder. I've been raised properly. So you won't hear me campaign negatively Um, about her at all. I'm going to tell you what I'm for. I'm going to contrast myself uh, because like Erica was saying earlier, it's not necessary to tear somebody down in order to lift yourself up. And so that's where we've turned our focus. And that's what I've been doing. And I've been taking my message to the people, Andrew, because that's what's going to make the difference. When I'm out there on the street and I'm talking to DC residents themselves, they are saying to me, what is really happening over there on the hill that's going to impact my everyday life? I'm not seeing enough of a difference that's motivating me enough to come out and to vote. So we have good high registration across the wards. You know, people are they're registered. But when it comes time to turn out um, in 2018, the last midterm, not 2020, because, you know, 2020 was kind of a yeah, outlier. Of course. That'd right? be big. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. But if you look back to the previous midterm and we all know that midterm turnouts tend to be a little lower anyway, Um, just folks, maybe they're burnt out after the general, they forget. So please, please come out for the midterm. But uh, in the 2018 midterm out of the 493,000 likely voters here in the Washington DC area, 89,000 participated in the, in the voting a little over 18%. Like that is to me very low, but it also shows me that there's some opportunity there to grow those numbers. But I need to first advocate and to talk to people and find out why are you not coming out? What is not inspiring you to come out and want to take charge of your future and charge of your destiny? And I'm having some wonderful conversations with our residents because at the end of the day, they are the ones who are going to decide who they want to represent them. And so we're very grassroots as well. We're very much, you know, raising money across the country. Thank God for the Yang Gang. They have been incredibly Thank supportive. Thank you, Yang Gang. I <laughs> <And support laughs> really Erica appreciate Wendy. You please, please support. I've only been on the campaign trail about four months. Uh, so I, am I'm still, uh, you know, kind of coming out of the gate and we're really moving into that next phase now that the weather is breaking and people are more vaccinated. So we can get out there and do a little bit more in person and some canvassing and things like that. So definitely need the resources. But at the end of the day, Andrew, for me, my race really is going to come down to the people, the residents of DC. And if I can build a relationship with them, and they can trust me. What I want them to know is they have the power to change their future by changing the people that they have representing them. And I will be... A candidate who not only commits to making that change, but allows myself to be held accountable by voters if I'm not doing what I said that I was going to be voted in to do. So they'll see me in the district. You know, there's been a history of folks getting over there on the Hill, getting the positions and then not coming back into the district.
1: They'll see you for sure. Rev, Rev. Yeah. Wendy.
2: So yeah. is,
1: is it a democratic primary for you officially too? Is it also next yes. summer?
2: Yes, it is same day, June 8th, June 8th or 7th, 2022. Big I'm, day. I'm yeah, big it is day, a big
0: day. You know. Can I just plug something that she said that's very important is the clean campaign. You know, all three of us are very intentional about just focusing on good ideas. And I think if you have good ideas and solutions, you don't need to talk about anyone else. You don't need to put anyone else down. And I think I try that's,
1: very hard not to talk about anyone else. <laughs>
0: yes, I think because but it's important. Because Andrew, it's I, I, I just want to sit in this for a moment because it's important because young kids are watching young kids are watching they are aware of the political climate and it's, so it's our responsibility as the adults to act like like act, act like adults I think wow. just being about solutions and policy is where we need to move in in politics and not like attack ads and putting people down because it does nothing
1: well Erica sound like a true teacher look at that you're like kids are watching <laughs> be good they can see right. what you're doing I can't speak highly enough about both of you I've uh, worked with both of you i'm so proud to have played any role at all in the fact that you are taking on these races i would love to see you in congress so erica if someone wants to help what can they do um, and how can they they find you
0: okay this is big because we are grassroots so if you are so inspired and want to get behind this movement which i hope you are um You can go to our website, A-A, I sold my name with two A's, so A-A-R-I-K-A for congress.com and you could donate what i would really love is for people to become recurring donors this is important because it helps stabilize our campaign so we know how much money we have coming in every single month so if you could be like a five to twenty five dollar recurring donor please and thank you and then also follow um, me on social media on instagram it's erica for congress two a's and then on twitter it's a-a-r-i-k-a roads And that would be a big help. And then if you live in California's 30th Congressional District, show up to events, participate, be active, because this is a community event and a community campaign. And so we we need to show up and show out in meaningful ways and get involved. And we want our community to be involved. So those would be like the big ways to to help.
1: And if you're on social media, Erica's got this uh, Apple icon that's sort of the teacher. You know what I mean? How like you bring the Apple to the teacher.
0: (laughs)
2: Yes.
1: Rev Wendy, if someone wants to help you, and there are probably a lot of people who live in D.C. who are listening to this. uh, Yes. How can we help?
2: Yes. Yes. Vote for me. Let me start there. Yeah, vote, vote. <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me start from the end and come back again. <laughs> vote for me. But absolutely. You can give to my campaign. We are definitely in need of, of operating funds and, and growing our monies and recurring donors. So RevWendyForCongress.com. That's RevWendyForCongress.com. That's the website. I'm on Twitter at RevWendy3. We're on Facebook, we're on LinkedIn, we're on TikTok. I mean, you name it, we're on it. And uh, we most recently announced that we have the capacity to accept donations in cryptocurrency. Wow. We're very, very, very excited. About about wow. That. Imagine having a yeah. member of
1: Congress who did that.
2: That's like, Netflix. yeah, well, very, very <laughs> much about forward thinking policies. Cryptocurrency is like an eco- economic justice tool for me because of the access and the equity it would provide and opening up. Uh, participation in our economy. So it ties into my policies. And that is why we made that um, an, an option, not just a publicity stunt, but I had a clubhouse conversation with folks from the community so that they could help inform me as a potential member of Congress of what their issues and concerns would be on a federal level. I did not know that there's actually a congressional blockchain caucus as we speak on Capitol Hill. Didn't know that, but I'll sure show up at the meeting if I get there. But yeah, those are ways that you can give to my campaign and we would really appreciate donations at this time. We are about to blow up. We're we're so excited, especially those in DC. But again, at the end of the day, even with all of this national support that we're receiving, if our folks in our districts don't come out to vote for us, we're not going to get in, right? So at the end of the day, it's about our community, it's about taking our message, it's about sharing the word. So if there's anybody on here who knows, if you've got family members in DC or in District 30 in California, Call them if you've got colleagues. Let them know. Spread the word. That's how grassroots campaigns grow. Like you said early on in this, Andrew. I remember when we were throwing stuff in the back of a van to go up to uh, Baltimore for one of your first um, speeches. And, yeah, it was yeah, quite yeah, modest. You yeah, no, yeah, I remember, we,
1: of course. Yeah, that's how, some
2: brewery in the back. You know,
1: that's how everything starts. Um, but incredible things can result. And you two are, are both just really awesome human beings. I, I love you both. And your journey is just beginning because, yes. uh, you know, <laughs> we, we, we have a bit over a year to make these things happen, but we have to do it right now so that they're in position to be able to uh, capitalize on, on the times to come. Thank you so much, Erica. Thank you so thank much, you. Rev. Wendy. Thank you, you, you Andrew. You, you, you two inspire me. And I know that's true of a lot of other people who are listening to this and seeing this right now. Let's go, Erica and Rev. Wendy, all the way to Congress. <laughs> woo! Let's <Yeah>! do it. <laughs> woo, woo,
2: woo, woo. Fantastic. <laughs> yes.
1: Thank you both so much.
2: Thank Thank you so much, Andrew. And I just want to also say one last thing. You didn't have to do this. You didn't have to make your national platform available for two women of color who were running for office. And yet you did. And I know that that speaks to who you are as a person. And we will always stand up and defend, represent and let people know who you are at your core, because you are a good man and you're a wonderful human being. And I am so grateful that God brought all of our paths to cross. Seriously, I echo those same sentiments.
0: You like your campaign. when I saw you on The Breakfast Club. It really it changed my life.
1: You know, I mean, I'm just grateful to you. And uh, I really, really want to see you go all the way. So that's what I'm about. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we will. I feel it. I feel it. Thank I feel you. it.